Good morning, church. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And the word of the Lord reads, There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Whenever there are tragedies in this world, the funny thing that we find is that there are also so-called prophets. Prophets who are eager to tell us how these tragedies fit within the judgment and summon up the wrath of God. I remember they did this in 9-11. Most of us who were living at that time know where we were, and right after the tragedy, they came out the woodwork. The prophets, the so-called self-proclaimed prophets, telling us how the wrath of God has come upon America. Remember, they did that with Katrina. And how the wrath of God is moved upon New Orleans for its sin and debauchery. They did it in Haiti when the hurricane, when the earthquake hit Haiti. Pronouncing God's wrath upon that country because of what they perceive as Haiti's idolatry. I find it interesting, beloved, how often we love to jump to God's judgment and to appoint God's wrath on the sins of others. Self-appointed prophets like to just call down God's judgment on what they believe are the transgressions of other people. These kind of prophets are are not new. They have been around for a long time, and unfortunately, they will continue to be around. They're in our days. They were present in the days of Jesus as well. What does Jesus, what does Jesus say about these self-appointed, self-proclaimed prophets? Our text this morning, I believe, beloved, gives us some insight in what Jesus thought about these prophets and their prophecies. In fact, what he continues to say to us when such tragedies occur today. When you begin to look at Luke chapter 13, it's important to Reflect on what Jesus had just been teaching just prior to this account. He had been teaching on the importance of discernment 
and being able to discern what Jesus calls the signs of the times. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 56, Jesus says to the crowd, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know to interpret the present time? Now, apparently, as Jesus was teaching this, there were those who were present there in the crowd who heard Jesus, and they believed. They were convinced that they were the ones who best understood what Jesus was saying. Not only did they understand what Jesus were saying, but what Jesus was saying, but they were the ones who could have that discernment and properly interpret the signs of the times. And so what they did, they wanted to show Jesus. They wanted to show Jesus that they could interpret current affairs. They wanted to show Jesus that they could put current affairs in the context of God's eternal decrees and God's purposes and plans for the world and people. So they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus bringing him news. News of this recent tragic event in which several Galilean Jews had been killed, murdered in cold blood. And as the no doubt, the news of this tragedy spread and knowledge of what happened began to feed into the people. The people had begun to want to know and to understand the nature of this event and why this event took place. And the assumption here, I believe, is that they were believing that they were bringing news to Jesus. Did Jesus know about this tragic event? We hadn't heard you say anything about it. We hadn't heard you address it. We hadn't heard you put it in the context of God's eternal purposes and plans. We can, but we haven't heard you say anything. Did you, were you aware of this awful suffering? Well, first of all, beloved, before we even get into the text, we need to understand that, of course, Jesus knew about it. Of course, Jesus knew about it because our Lord God knows about it all. That is the first principle that you have to understand, that the Lord God knows it all. Our God is not ignorant of the pain and suffering in this world. He has not turned a blind eye or a deaf ear to the difficulties of being in this present age. He is not cold. He is not detached. He is not indifferent to the tragedies that we read about or that we even experience in our own lives. The Lord knows our pain. The Bible says in Psalm 
56 and verse 8, beloved. He knows. He keeps track of all our sorrows. He knows the trouble and the trials. The old song used to sing, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Yes, yes, he knows. Nobody else may know, but the Lord God knows. He knows. In fact, he not only knew about the Galileans, the Lord our God also knew about the 18. The 18 who were killed in Jerusalem when the Tower of Siloam fell upon them. So they not only wanted to see if Jesus knew, beloved. That wasn't the only issue. They not only wanted to see if Jesus knew, they wanted to see if he understood. They wanted to see if he could discern the times. They wanted to see if he had a prophetic word to put this tragedy in context. Because they had one. And they could. Apparently, these two tragic events had been capturing headlines, beloved. And it's interesting, isn't it, that one was an accident and the other was intentional. One was at the evil hand of a man and the other could be seen as the hand of nature. Two different events, two separate causes, both were unexpected. Both were unexpected. And to both of these events, Jesus spoke the same word. Whether it's by the hands of humans or whether it's by natural causes, whether you consider it evil or whether you consider it an act of God, Jesus spoke the same word. He spoke to this unexpected tragedy and in it he spoke an unexpected word and he revealed an uncommon and an unexpected mercy. You see this unexpected tragedy, beloved. This unexpected tragedy. It had been reported that, that Pilate had ordered the deaths of some Galileans. And he ordered the deaths of these Galileans as they were, the Bible seems to imply, as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. This was cold-hearted and cold-blooded murder. Now, we are, we are not told why Pilate ordered these killings. We are not told how many were killed. We are not told who Pilate instructed to massacre these people. 
All we know that it was unexpected. That's all we know. It was unexpected, as tragedy and pain often is. You see, none, none of them had left home that day thinking, thinking that they would never return. None of their loved ones who knew about them going to the temple that day thought that they would never see them alive again. Beloved, all, all tragedy hurts. All loss is painful. But it is particularly acute when it is unexpected. One of the first things we ask somebody in their loss of a loved one is, was it expected? Was it expected? My mother died last year at the age of 91. She had been battling illness for many years. And when she finally passed, we grieved her passing. But when it came, beloved, it was expected. But beloved, unexpected death is different. A sudden death of a healthy child, that's different. A car accident two blocks from home, that's, that's, that's different. A terrorist attack or a sudden tornado, beloved, that's different. And when unexpected tragedy comes, it raises questions. Raises questions, doesn't it? Questions like why? Why did God allow this to happen? Where? Where was God in all of this? Who? Who is responsible for this disaster? Who is to blame? And those who came to Jesus on that day, beloved, they didn't have questions. They already had answers. They already had answers. They knew what happened to the Galileans. In their minds, they knew why the 18 in Jerusalem were killed. They were killed because it was God's judgment against sin. It was God's wrath against their disobedience. And this was the prevailing thought, beloved. This was the prevailing thought among most of the people. Among most of the people, it was believed that bad things always happen to bad people. Bad things always happen to bad people. Remember what Job's friends said to him in Job chapter 4 and verse 7? The innocent do not perish, Job. The righteous and upright are never destroyed. This was the prevailing thought of most of the people. This was the thought of those who had come to Jesus that day. That personal disaster was the result of personal sin. You read that and you think that sounds crazy. But not so much. I used to do this to myself, beloved. If something went wrong in my life, I would look around for things that I was doing wrong. 
if something wasn't working in my life, then I would look around because I must have not been doing things right. And beloved, we often live, we often live, whether it's conscious or subconsciously, we often live under the condemnation of this wrongful thinking. And not only do we do, do, we do it to ourselves, beloved, but we keep other people in bondage. We keep other people in bondage to this wrong-headed belief. And when they came to Jesus, they expected Jesus to concur with them. They expected Jesus to affirm this in this in their thoughts. They died because they were wrong. Something in their life was off. They expected Jesus to affirm this. To see things like they see. To discern the times like they discern them. For them, these tragedies were unexpected. But they were not unexplainable. I can explain it very simply. You're in sin. You need to examine your life. God is punishing you for your lack of obedience. Tell us we're right, Jesus. Tell us we're right. And to this unexpected tragedy, Jesus stops and he speaks an unexpected word. Jesus spoke. He sure did. When they told him about this tragedy, he spoke. And when the Lord speaks, beloved, and you really hear him, it usually changes the temperature of the room. Because most of the time, it's not what you expect. And this is what Jesus did. He spoke an unexpected word. See that in Luke, chapter 12, chapter 13, verses 2 through 5. And Jesus answered him, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, and unless you repent, you will perish also. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will perish also. Now, beloved, they expected Jesus to prophesy against the sins of the Galileans. They expected Jesus to speak out against the evils of Pilate. And he could have done that. 
He could have spoke about the sins of the Galilean Jews there that day. He could have spoke about the evil and the wickedness of Pilate. He could have done so. And if he had done so, he would have been right. But Jesus did what he often did, and that was the unexpected. He turned the conversation on them, and he focused their attention on the commonality of all people. I want you to get that. He focused the attention on the commonality of all people. This is important because what we tend to focus on is on those things that differentiate us. What causes us to differ from others? Those are the things that we focus on. God focuses on what makes us all the same. You know what that is? The curse of sin. Those who suffer, beloved, are no different from those who don't. Jesus put all Galileans in the same basket. You know what he does? He puts all of us in that basket too. Here's, here's what hits me. And I can't help but sense, beloved, that there is here in the words of Jesus an indictment upon an unhealthy and even sinful self-righteousness. That's what Jesus was condemning in those that came to him. That is what Jesus is condemning this morning. This unhealthy and even sinful self-righteousness. Like those who came to Jesus, beloved, this is what we do. We say things like, when we see others sin, we say things like, can you believe that he did a thing like that? I would never do anything like that. I, I would never allow that to happen in my family. And when I read this passage, beloved, it hits me in the heart. And it causes me to ask the question, Am I judging others unmindful of my own sin? Am I focusing on the faults of others not mindful of my own faults? For the insinuation here is that others are more sinful than I am. Others are more evil than I am. Others are more disobedient than I am and therefore more deserving of God's wrath than I am. And Jesus says, no. No, they're not. No, they're not. You might recall, I know I do, in 2014 when Michael Brown was shot by a police officer outside of the city of St. Louis. And 
There were protests and there were riots in the streets. Black lives versus blue lives versus white lives. During that time, I heard a preacher raise a question. And he said, if Jesus was here, where would he be? And he answered the question, he'd be in the street marching in support of Michael Brown. And I thought to myself then, and I still think it now, beloved, that whether or not Jesus would be in that street, I don't know, but maybe he would. But he'd be there asking a more important question. He'd be there asking, do you think that you are a better sinner than that police officer? Do you think that Michael Brown is a worse sinner than you are? Whatever struggles we have in this world, beloved, ultimately God sees us all the same. He sees us all the same. I remember Jesse Jackson was running for president, and he gave a speech in which he he said, we came to this country on different ships, but we all in the same boat now. For God, beloved, we've always been in the same boat. It's the sinking boat of sin. We're all born in sin. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have chosen ourselves rather than God. As Romans 3 and 23 reminds us, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says over and over again. In Job chapter 15, beginning in verse 14, it's clear, it's clear. He says, who are we that we could be pure of those born of woman that they could be righteous? If God places no trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in his eyes, how much less mortals who are vile and corrupt, who drink up evil like water. Who drink up evil like water. That's us, beloved. That's us. And knowing this, knowing this should always remind me that my lack of trouble or trial at any time is not because of my lack of sin. Whatever others are going through, I should never say that I don't deserve the same. We're all in the same boat. Jesus would say to you and I, do you think you're better than the Galileans? Or those who died in Jerusalem, do you think you're better than those who died at 9-11? Or in Haiti? No. Jesus would look at you and say, no, no, no. And unless you repent, you're going to perish also. 
Now listen, beloved. When Jesus spoke these words, I can't help believe, I can't help but believe that there was suddenly a hush, a hush over that crowd. Because the key to not perishing is not that you're better. It's not that you were not in the wrong place at the wrong time. The key to not perishing is repentance. Repentance is the The key is turning away from unbelief. The key is turning in faith to Christ. That's the key. Repentance coupled with faith in Jesus leads to eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't want to, re- you don't want to perish. Then turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. Now, it is important to note, beloved, that what Jesus means here is not just turning away from certain sins. That's not what Jesus means. When he says, unless you repent, you will also perish, he is not talking about just turning away from certain sins. Like turning away from greed or turning away from lust or turning away from anger. Listen, beloved, you can stop being angry and still perish. You can stop lusting and still perish. You can stop eating too much and still perish. No, no, no. This repenting is from your unbelief. Repenting from your unbelief and turning in faith and trust to Christ. Listen, a person perishes not because they lust. A person perishes not because they get angry. A person perishes not because they eat too much. People perish because they refuse to believe and trust in Jesus. That's what he is saying. Those who don't repent don't inherit the kingdom of God. They won't receive eternal life because they refuse to trust in Jesus. Which is far worse. Which is far worse, beloved. Not trusting in Jesus and therefore perishing is far worse than any suffering this world could ever know. Listen, whatever suffering we see or experience in this world or in our lives pales, beloved, pales, pales in comparison to the eternal suffering of hell. Pales, this is what Jesus is getting at. Pales in comparison. Hell, beloved, is spoken of as a place of painful loneliness. 
hell is spoken of as a place of perpetual darkness. Hell is spoken of as a place of never-ending torture and tearing of the flesh. Hell is spoken of as a place of unending suffering and pain. And as you consider, as you consider the sufferings of this world, consider how much more is the suffering in hell and the fact that it is promised to those who refuse to repent. It is promised to those who refuse to turn in faith to Jesus Christ. This is the reality that Jesus is speaking about. Perishing. Perishing, beloved. And when Jesus began to speak like this, I'm sure everybody began to look at themselves. They looked at others, but then they began to look at themselves. And as a hush grew over that crowd, beloved, I have no doubt that those who were there were taken back and began to examine themselves. Have I repented? Have I placed faith in Jesus? Am I trusting in my own goodness? Am I trusting in Christ? If this word of Jesus was unexpected, I want to suggest to you this morning how much more so is his grace and mercy to us. Listen, beloved. And this is what hits me every time I read this passage. To see Jesus speak these words should cause us to tremble. As we think that we understand our time. As we speak politically and prophetically about the tragedies and the pains and the hurts in this life. To hear Jesus speak about these things should cause us to tremble. 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 Because what Jesus said should remind us this morning that we all deserve condemnation for our sins. That we all deserve punishment for our transgressions. In fact, not only do we deserve it, we should be expecting it. We should be expecting it. And not just some of us. But Romans 3 and 9 says all of us, everyone. And beloved, if you are not condemned, it is not owing to anything that you've done. If you are not condemned, it is owing only to the mercy and the grace of God. Nothing else. 
his undeserved mercy, his unexpected grace, nothing else. Listen to me. The older I get, the more real becomes the gospel. The more real becomes the gospel. The older I get, the less judgmental I am. Because the more aware I am of my own sin. The older I get, the more thankful I am. Thankful for God's mercy. Thankful that he saved me. The older I get, the better I understand and cherish and identify with the Apostle Paul as he got to the end of his days. When he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Not the Galileans, not Pilate, not the Jerusalemites, but me. Me. I am the worst one. And for this very reason, I was shown mercy, the worst of sinners. Nothing earned, brother. Nothing. Nothing earned here. Nothing deserved here. It's all by his grace. It's all in accordance with his mercy. You know, we live in a world that believes that you get what you deserve. Thankfully, God's kingdom doesn't work that way, brother. The good news found in Psalm 103 and verse 10. God doesn't give us what we deserve, but rather unearned mercy and unexpected grace. You remember the movie The Sound of Music? I know most of you probably don't even remember it. Haven't seen it. But if you haven't seen it, go home and Google it, YouTube it, whatever, and watch it. Absolutely awesome. But Julie Andrews, she plays Maria, who falls in love with the captain. And in one scene, they're out at the gazebo, and they're singing to each other. And the song says, somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Because nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. Therefore, somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Listen, beloved. It's a beautiful movie. But if I ever did something good, I've done enough wrong to cancel any good many times over, many times over. And if I'm hoping my good will keep me from perishing, then I really have no hope at all. 
There is no hope without help. And there is no help without Jesus. And I can't speak to you this morning. But my testimony this morning is simple. Where would I be without his mercy? Lord, where would I be without your grace? I'm telling you, beloved, I'm telling you, this passage makes me look at the world different all the time. It gets me off of my self-righteous hobby horse. Reminds me that whatever I see or whatever I think in God's eyes, we all stand level at the cross. And whatever evil I think is happening, whatever tragedy I see, God sees sinners in need of grace. He sees sinners in need of mercy. And I see in me the worst of them all. Where would I be without his mercy? Where would I be without his grace? Let's pray.